2: The athletic, ladies and gentlemen,
0: it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish podcast. It's the Fulhamish podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name's Sammy James. Welcome to the show, brought to you as ever by The Athletic UK the international fortnight is coming to its conclusion so it's time to refocus on fulham's battle to stay in the premier league it's that time of the season where the cliches come out eight cup final, squeaky bum time it's all on the line phrases i'm sure you'll hear a lot of over the next few weeks and fulham's battle to stay in the Premier League starts in Birmingham against Aston Villa away. Of course, the opposite fixture was very much Fulham's Nadir, with Jamie Carragher proclaiming that he's never been more sure of anything in his life that Fulham are going down. We'll see on Sunday at around 6.30, whether that's changed at all. I'm here with the regular Thursday crew, Peter Rutzler. Hey, Sammy, how you doing? Fine, thank you. And Jack Collins. Hello, listeners. How we doing? Fine. Thank you. Um, me and Peter are commenting today that you look extraordinarily like Gareth Bale today. Not only have you kind of got the black hair with top knot, but also you are wearing the kind of Wales red shirt. It's actually a Bill Bilbao shirt, but it, it, it looks strikingly similar.
2: Um, yeah, I'll take it. I just... Just out here putting in those kind of heart symbols. Gareth Bale's in everyone's good books, isn't he? After his after dropping the people's elbow, so uh, so I'll take. <laughs> but it's,
1: it's, it's either that or it's a Jack Grealish tribute, and that would be really concerning for a Fulham podcast ahead of this weekend.
2: At this point, right? It was in my entire life basically a Jack Grealish tribute, but this weekend I decided <laughs> I was going to take my hair out of the old Grealish style, just to, just just to you know, let it go. The rest of the rest of the year, it's fine, but this weekend is just unacceptable, isn't it?
0: It is indeed. Well, we're going to look at that Aston Villa game in this podcast we're also going to do a Fulham international rounder we're also going to look at Fulham's burgeoning under 18 side um, which are doing great things under Steve Weekly, top of their division uh, and only right that we pay a bit of attention to it on this podcast uh, but just to say right now you can subscribe to the Athletic UK for 3 dollars a month for six months that's 40% off the full price of a subscription and that's just for listening to this podcast you'll get great and Analysis and in-depth features from the very best football writers around, as well as ad-free versions of this podcast. If you want to get that offer, go to theathletic.com forward slash Fulham Pod to take advantage of this 40% discount. It's also a great way for you to support Fulhamish. That's theathletic.com forward slash Fulham Pod. And also just a quick one that's right, this is a really niche message um, for people that only are listening in the USA and Canada. There was an advert in last week's podcast with an offer uh, for our transatlantic. Cousins. There was a small error in the advert. Um, The URL was wrong. So it should have been Fulham Pod US, not just Fulham Pod, uh, the offer there. There's another advert that's correct coming up later in this podcast if you're living in the US or Canada. But if you were affected by this and you maybe got the the wrong offer because you went to the URL that I gave you in the advert, um, then just contact Fulhamish, either email us or send us a DM on Twitter And we'll make sure that is fixed for you. Okay, back in the room. Uh, If you're not in the US or Canada. um, okay. let's have a look then at the international break from a Fulham perspective. And Jack, there's only really one place to start. We discussed it last week, but Alexander Mitrovic, the record top goal scorer for Serbia. And we said last week he's got a smile on his face, but he's looking really prolific. Some, Some stunning goals in there as well.
2: Yeah, um, the, especially we we speak about them, and and to score against Portugal is is impressive because we we've talked about that that partnership at the back before. We've talked about their their ability at the back, and and to score to go on and score, you know, it's one thing scoring against the Republic of Ireland and, and Azerbaijan, with all due respect, uh, it's another thing scoring against Portugal, uh, current European champions. And I think that that hot run of form, you know, five goals, three games. Uh, that ability. And I think the, the nicest thing for me um, was the sharpness of it. And especially you look at a second goal against Azerbaijan and he just sort of takes one touch out of his feet and drills it home. And it is it's the mark of a man who looks like he has refound some confidence, who has refound his innate scoring ability. And, uh, and there were shades of, you know, there's not the hold off and turn in the way that he did against Wolves in that first season in the, in the championship, but there are shades of that goal in the way that he drills it low across the front of the keeper, uh, into the near post. And I, I just really, really pleased to see, to, to see that kind of match sharpness, to see him doing the things that we know he's good at, because when he's come on for Fulham at times this year, he's looked a little bit rusty. He's looked like he's lacking that kind of clinical edge. Uh, and we saw none of that in this break. And then now you have to look at it and go, well, I'm I'm not sure that Scott can leave him out, uh, given what he's done during the course of, of these two weeks.
0: Can you leave him out, Peter? I mean, it does seem a little bit hasty just to put him back in the Premier League side because he's scoring at international level.
1: Yeah, I mean, in, international football is uh, a different uh, kettle of fish, isn't it? It's, it's a different thing. But I, I completely agree with, with Jack. I think one of the Most notable things about Mitrovic since he's dropped out of the team since the last international break, really, is the fact that he hasn't been sharp at all. Um, I think that the QPR game was the most striking example. You know, um, there were so many opportunities where he was was scuffing it. He wasn't playing on instinct, And, and what we saw over this international break was that, that natural striker's instinct. He's not really thinking about taking chances. You know, he's he's seen Mark Travers off his goal line um, against Ireland and he's gone for the chip. And the example J- uh, Jack said about Azerbaijan as well, it was literally that out of his feet, gone. He knew exactly what he was doing. There was no thought process there. It's, that's what you want. It's someone who's confident, backs their ability and, and will we'll pull it off. And, um, I mean, I mean, you, you said, can he go straight back into the um, the Fulham team? I mean, during the Azerbaijan game, I got two messages from two different Serbian contacts being like, is Scott Parker watching? And it's like, well, <laughs> it's hard for him not to be, I imagine. With, with I the- yeah, I, hope, I, I bloody hope so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, but, you know, five goals in three games in a short time span. You know, I think one of the... We discussed it last week about how, you know, there was even doubt about him being called into the Serbia squad um, before this international break. Um, he he does seem to be a different player in in a Serbia shirt and I think the fact that he's been able to turn it around for Serbia considering how he left it you know missing the penalty against Scotland um, is a massive confidence boost for him. Um, we we've we talked about how, you know, he, he struggled with what well, that was. It's such a massive thing to, to miss such a vital penalty for your country and to come back, to score five goals, to become your all-time record goal scorer. It's it's massive, absolutely massive. And, you know, we've we've sort of seen in recent weeks that Mitrovic has sort of stepped up the pecking order a little bit. You know, he's come on twice now ahead of Josh Madge. He was, you know, the first choice to come off the bench uh, against, uh, against Leeds. Um, you know, and got a really good size on a number of minutes more than more than we're probably used to um, for him from the bench uh, and it does seem to indicate that he's going in the right direction and this is just the next step for that and you know, if, if he can take that form and bring it back to Fulham in this run it'll be massive
0: well, was um, was Fulham effectively Mitro's pre-season for the international break, Peter? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> he kind of warmed up uh, in the Premier League so that he could be on top form for Serbia uh, in these three games. Um, Jack elsewhere, um, Jokum um has played some minutes for Denmark. Um, he's built mm. on his one cap that he had um, going into this international break. He played in Denmark's hammering of Moldova. He also played a little bit against in their game against Austria. I believe as well. So good he to see it all,
2: he played in all three games, um, which which is really nice to see. And, and Peter spoke about it on on this exact pod um, a couple of weeks back, saying that his his kind of big aim was to get back into this into this side. Now I don't think he's going to be a starting centre back for. For Denmark, but you know at the tournament this summer. But they've had a brilliant international break. They're one of about four sides who went unbeaten. They absolutely trounced Moldova. He played the full ninety, and that uh, he played twenty five minutes in their four nil win over Austria, and thirteen minutes in their two nil win. Over Israel, you'll notice there that they haven't conceded a goal. Um, so, so Yerkim has three more caps, three more clean sheets. He's got an aggregate score of fourteen <laughs> nil over the international break. You'd imagine he's going to be coming back in with, with some confidence, allied with the the fact that we said that he was really, really hoping to be part of this squad. He has kicked on. He has the fact that he's played in all three games. I think suggests that he will now look. Probably be in this European squad for the Euros, um, and he'll be delighted with that. So, so it's a really nice to see, and yeah, delighted for him to be honest. Really, really happy for the big man.
1: We've talked about the the competition that Denmark have and at centre half, and and the, and the different options there, and the fact that he has featured in all three games is a massive boost for him. It just shows that he is part of the picture. He is in the manager's thinking, and and as Jack said. It's, this season's been for him on you know, one of the, his main goal was getting into that Denmark squad getting back into contention you know uh, that you know there's been a lot of talk about what he's going to do next you know what he's going to do in the summer when he when the loan ends at, at Fulham will he stay at Fulham will he stay at Leon? will he go elsewhere but really for him that the focus has been Denmark and you know I don't think an inter, international break could have gone much better for him really in, in terms of both minutes appearances and and the results for his country too.
0: Good on Joachim. Yeah, so I've, I've seen the um, the
1: links are already starting just to bubble through on, on Twitter. The... I, I think they will continue as well, Sammy. I think it's inevitable considering the way Fulham have defended and, and, and the way Joachim plays, you know, he's got admirers. So unfortunately it will continue. But, you know, he's spoken about how happy he is at Fulham. So... We'll, we'll, we'll see. I think the Euros could be interesting depending on his involvement because that can be transformational for players.
2: Yeah, um, if Fulham stay up, then then I'm still confident he would like to stay. Um, that, But if we, if we don't, then you oh, can yeah. imagine there's going to be hit serious interest in Joachim yeah. Manson
0: I feel like there's going to be serious interest um, no matter what. I mean, whoever writes or comes up with the rumours for Tottenham Hotspur, I swear, is just a Fulham fan. It, Cause all it was they- actually...
2: He was actually your colleagues, um, Peter, <laughs> the Athletic, who did this. In it, basically bubbled up in a in one of those like Q and A chats. I did it, and and that's where it's all fed from. Well,
1: basically. You, you do so. I think it was been, I can't remember if I put this in my my piece on Joachim Anderson um, and sort of his backstory. But before he moved to Leon, I think from Sampdoria in that summer, where there was a lot of interest, uh, he visited Tottenham twice. Um, they were very very interested in him at that point, so. You know, I, the, I can't imagine that interest is suddenly just abated. Um, and I'm sure they'll be watching what he's doing at the moment.
0: Um- Jack, one interesting story I thought from the international break was Abubakar Kamara um, scoring yes, the them, man <laughs> scoring the winner for Mauritania uh, to send them to the African Cup of Nations. Uh, I mean, the defending was ropey to say the least, but does Abu care? Absolutely not. And and the scenes at the final whistle, I've it was like something out of any given Sunday. It was amazing. They all rush off the touchline, have bundles all over the pitch. And, and yeah, for Abu to get the winner there, look, I know he's not currently a Fulham player; he's on loan. But I was, I was really happy to see it.
2: Yeah, it, it, it was wicked. Um, he, he loved it. He absolutely. It was his second cap. <laughs> like, this is the best bit about it. It was only his second cap, and the first cap, people were like, "How is this bloke playing football?" I was looking at the Twitter comments, and there were loads of people being like. This guy is a bouncer. He just plays football in his spare time. <laughs> uh, look, All these sorts of comments. And then and he scored the goal and sent him there. It's only their second time ever qualifying for the African Cup of Nations. So uh, they qualified in, in 2019. Um, and they've qualified again. Back-to-back qualifications for Mauritania. And now they have the gunman up front. Then <laughs> anything can happen.
1: It's I'm ha- so happy for him. So happy for him. Absolutely no it's- stopping him. So, exactly. so great. I mean, great celebration from him as well, the front flip. Just loving it, absolutely loving it. And he's, um, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a nice lift for him because I don't think the loan at Dijon has exactly caught fire yet. I, I was looking at the numbers the other day. I think he's had four appearances and I think he's got one red card as well, which he picked up against Long. So he's, he's not set the world on fire there, but it's nice, nice little boost on the international front anyway.
0: Peter, a couple of other notable African appearances by by Fulham players. Ola Aina playing for Nigeria and also Mario Lamina for Gabon.
1: Yes. So Mario Lamina helped Gabon qualify for the African Cup of Nations, which is uh, going to be held in Cameroon next year. Um, he played uh, 90 minutes against the Demo- Democratic Republic of Congo, who were without uh, Niskin's Cabana, who uh, wasn't able to, to link up with the team. He's obviously no wonder they the lost. No, you know, it's all linked. It's all linked. Um but a 3-0 <laughs> win for them. Um he didn't play against uh, Angola in their second game. Um he's now back at Motts Park. That's due to the government coronavirus restrictions and Angola are on the uh, on England's red list. So um but yeah, a really big win for for, for Gabon. They're, they've now qualified and then as you said. Olorena helped Nigeria to qualify as well. They had a big win in, in Benin. I think it's the first time that Benin have lost in, at home in seven years, I think. Yeah, 93rd minute winner. It was genuinely
2: chaos, that game.
1: Didn't there were, there were pictures of the Nigerian team when they were arriving, you know, arriving on boats, I think. Um, that were on Twitter from the Nigerian FA. Uh, so, yeah, that seemed like a, 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 big, a big day out. Um, and- <laughs> let to say the least.
2: <laughs> Get there via boat. What? I
1: yeah, feel it's, like- like Brent- it's like Brentford coming to the cottage.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I would love a a to see a team arrive at the cottage by boat. I wonder if it's ever happened.
2: <laughs> maybe they should just add a-, add a proper pier to the Maybe side when and- well, this is what's going to happen, isn't it? With the new stand, there's-, there's a pier being added, so maybe that's how teams are going to arrive in the <laughs> future.
1: Amazing. That'd be fantastic, um, and yeah, and so uh, Nigeria have also qualified in their group. They've got they beat Lesotho three 0 yeah,
2: in a dead rubber, a dead rubber,
1: a dead rubber. But, so yeah,
2: the Ben the Benin result, as you say, was big, big for them, and they qualified top of the group. So um, it, it was nice to see that.
1: One other uh, notable um, was Kenny Tetter making his first start, I think, since 2019 for for the Netherlands. Uh, He played in the defeat to Turkey. I think it's been a mixed international break for them. Um, He didn't feature against Latvia and Gibraltar, but he he did start under Frank De Boer. I think Frank De Boer has got uh, sort of a mixed sort of reception from fans. In, in the Netherlands, Jack May, you may know a bit more than, than I do at this point on, on his I situation. Think,
2: I think that's incredibly kind okay. um, to Frank de Boer. <laughs> I think everyone's a bit like, what is going on? Uh, Frank de Boer is a, a really interesting uh, example of... Obviously, he did well with Ajax in that first kind of stint. Then went to Inter. That was a car crash. Went to Palace. That was even more of a car crash. Uh, went over to Atlanta United, in the States. Um, failed with probably the best side in, in the country and um, and keeps just failing upwards and then just got given the netherlands job and everyone was like uh what <laughs> um and then and yeah it, it just doesn't doesn't look great the, you know the genuine real chance of them missing out on world cup qualification uh, for the second time in a row which would be you know basically devastating to the netherlands given how you know, crucial they've been to the development of football down the years, um, and there's a lot of people very unhappy, and so I'd imagine given the f- state of their European group um, in the Euros this summer, uh, we could be seeing Frank de Boer out of the Netherlands' job. I would suggest by uh, by September.
0: Um, one interesting one when you mentioned Lamina coming back, um, Peter. Early do footballers not have to do the hotel quarantine?
1: Uh, only if you're. In red list countries, they still have to take tests, I believe. Um, Okay. But there are elite football uh, sports people exemptions. Um, Uh, Okay. So he's able to come back straight in. The other one was Andre Frank Anguisa. So he didn't play in Cameroon's 3-1 defeat in Cape Verde, um, but did play in the 0-0 draw at home to Rwanda on Tuesday. So, I mean, he will have probably arrived back on Wednesday... Um, and that probably I don't think that'll make him a doubt for, for Sunday, but um, always tricky with the Wednesday and the fact that there were three games in this international break. Most, I think, were involved on, on Wednesday as well, which always poses an issue ahead of the weekend's fixtures. But um, yeah, so that's that's All right. the, that's sort of the reason there are some exemptions for, for elite sports people.
2: Cameroon's. Um- qualification situation was bizarre. They do this in in AFCON. They basically, you qualify automatically as host, but they put you in qualification anyway. So if you top your group... It's fine. You're expected to just qualify. But if you don't, then it puts everyone else into this bizarre second place playoff where like one team doesn't qualify because they have to drop out for the hosts. Ah. And it's it's just really, really stressful. Like trying to work out what was going on. And I was spending a lot of time like trying to work out the permutations and left, right and center of what was going on in AFCON. And it just really threw me this entire thing. It was fine because Cameroon were doing fine, but it was, it was one of those moments you're like, I, I just don't understand what's happening. Um, but yeah.
0: Um, let's move on then to Sunday's game against Aston Villa at Villa park. Um, the game got moved um, no only a few weeks ago. It was originally going to be on the Saturday evening, but it's now Sunday afternoon, four thirty. believe it's on sky sports. And, Jack, I feel like Fulham have missed the opportunity, the window, um, to face Villa without Jack Grealish and that's a bit of bad luck really.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, I mean, we've seen over recent weeks how one dimensional they are without Jack Grealish and, uh, and frankly, it's, it's deeply upsetting that, that he's returned for this game. Um, you know, you've got a basically pray that his match sharpness is still going to be low, that, he, you know, he's coming back from an injury, they're, they're not going to want to risk him, you know, getting injured again. So we might maybe see him for 60 minutes rather than a full 90. But yeah, I mean, look, you can dress it up any way you like. It would have been better for Fulham to, to play Aston Villa without Jack Grealish. Uh, as it is, we're going to have to play them with him. You know, it, it's not the end of the world. It's still a game I think Fulham can get something out of. Um, but, Yeah, it would would have been better if he wasn't there.
0: There's such a checkered history, um, Peter, between Fulham and Aston Villa in recent years, Um, culminating in that 3-0 defeat earlier in the season. Of course, there's Fulham's playoff win against Aston Villa. There was the FA Cup win, but there's also been heavy defeats to Villa as well at Villa Park. It always seems to be quite a pivotal game whenever Fulham face Villa. And and once again, uh, we find ourselves in another important tussle with Villa and, and they've still got interests at the top of the table. So it's not a dead rubber for them by any means.
1: Um, yeah, no, it's, it's not a dead rubber at all. And, you know, Villa have got, I think, one or two games in hand to to try and get back into the European places mix. Um, I think it's seven games without a win now or something like that. And it just shows the impact that, that Jack Grealish has had. But, you know, as you say, Sammy, you know, the Villa games don't seem to pass uh, full and by without some kind of instant. I think, you know, the last home game was, you know, pretty crazy really I guess in terms of the fallout afterwards and obviously the result itself was disappointing you know there was all the, the tension surrounding the lack of uh, new recruits I think it was a day that we broke that Marlon was that deal had collapsed and um, and then Tony Khan tweeted uh, apologising for the performance before Scott Parker had reached the press um, reached his pre- post-match press conference and yeah, things were all very tense, I think, at that point. And um it's interesting actually just comparing the the contrast now. And I think we you meant touched on it at the start of, of of the topic, Sammy, but that you know, Fulham are a completely different team to to the one that was taken apart by Villa at Craven Cottage. Um obviously different personnel, which has made a massive, massive difference, as we've talked at length about, but but also in terms of the way Fulham play. Uh, It'd be interesting to see how they go about it this weekend, and and whether they actually do go for Villa. Um, Villa perhaps are still a bit vulnerable. You know, you, you come out of a run like this, and you know you're not. There's no there's no guarantee that one player drops in and, and suddenly the whole picture changes. Now, of course, the international break doesn't exactly help. That is <laughs> a resetting point, isn't it? Um, but you know, it, for, for Fulham, they, they've got to be picking up wins now. Um, I think Villa probably fit into the category of a, of a game to take something from. Um, you know the, the away games are the tricky ones aren't they you know with arsenal chelsea manchester united to come and then the home games are the, the the ones you have to to win and i think trying to reduce some of that pressure on those home games um is really really important so that's why this next this patch of fixtures is 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 key really for fulham to just to you know keep keep the focus on newcastle and and keep that negativity pouring all over them and you know, it just takes a win up there, and suddenly the picture changes a little bit more, and it's it's very finely balanced. Um, even though it, it seems it's tight, um, one result can can change everything.
0: Um, Jack, does the three deep lying midfielders experiment end against Villa? Do we see Loftus cheat come back into that midfield at the expense of one of Anguissa, Lamina, and well, probably not Harrison Reed.
2: Yeah, I I would suggest that uh, this is a a game for a sort of. Four two three one slash four three three with with an attacking point it, it feels like the kind of you know it's one thing playing against City uh it's, it's another thing playing it in a game where Fulham really think they can get a result and they will um given Villa's form given the fact that the, the key cohesion is perhaps not quite there at the moment um I think that we will see Ruben Loftus sheet come back in yeah um, and and try and play that that middle role. It, it's an interesting one. I, I think that Fulham have been much better as we spoke about before with, with at the back with three in the middle. And, and I was pleased when the we we got that experiment of the three kind of holding midfielders in there. But I do think it meant that Anguissa kind of played more as the ten it, out of possession, in particular, he led the press quite a lot, uh, which, which is interesting, but ne- doesn't necessarily leave him in his best positions from where we've seen him. Um, I know he he likes playing as a 10. I know he grew up playing 10, but I, I don't think it gets the best out of him. Um, and I do expect to see Ruben Loftus-Cheek come back in this weekend. Villa will play with, you know, a, a pivot of probably Douglas Luiz and John McGinn, you'd imagine. Then either Jack Grealish will play there through the middle or, or we'll see Morgan Sanson or, or Ross Barkley kind of play in, in that 10. I don't think we need... Three players to be trying to trying to cover that off. As far as I'm concerned, I think you, you do need someone going the other way that's going to give them things to think about. Keep Douglas Louis pen back in, uh, yeah. And so I, I would expect Scott to go with with a more attacking midfield triumvirate.
1: I think we saw the so, sorry Sammy. Um, I think we saw the value of um, Ruben Loftus Cheek and, and what he can bring to the team um, in the last couple of games in which he hasn't featured um obviously city and leeds have been unique challenges and the the way they man mark and i think i think we saw elements of fulham trying to replicate that in midfield in both those games uh i, I think angesa if he, if he is able to play um playing in that advanced role doesn't suit him yet and I, and I and i know that fulham want him to score more goals and they want more out of him in that in that sense um but i just i don't think he's actually really ready for that like his form hasn't been amazing i think uh, I know he set his, his standard very, very high, but I think in recent weeks it hasn't sort of hit that sort of peak. And I think dropping, dropping him back into a more familiar territory, maybe partnering him again just alongside Harrison Reed, build that familiarity up again can, can help. And I think also just on Jack Grealish, if you, I imagine he will go back onto the left-hand side. And I wonder if Scott Parker is toying with maybe bringing back Bobby Deckard over Reed. I mean, he he seems fit. He looks like he's back in training now. You know, putting him on that right-hand side and maybe even considering doubling up I know we're we're, all, we're pushing for wins at the moment, but um, Jack Grealish is their game changer. He's the guy that makes things happen, and um, if that means they have to resort to the, to that interchangeable five and four, then then maybe that's something Fulham might do.
2: We didn't see Bobby Decker ever Reed get a, a Jamaica call up in the Championship All Stars team, um, which is a shame, really, because I, I know he's he's quite pleased normally when he's when he's playing for for country, but. Um, yeah, I suppose that gives him more time at, at Mossberg Park to to, to recover and, and get back to full speed.
0: Um, yeah, well, look, we'll see what happens on Sunday against Villa. I guess the other game uh, that we now need to keep an eye on is Newcastle's fixture against Spurs, which is on Sunday at two o'clock. So actually the game before Fulham. So we'll see what happens. Uh, they're facing Spurs at home and... Fingers crossed, if results go our way, there is another opportunity potentially for Fulham to get out of the relegation zone if results go our way. But, you know, we need a lot to fall into place, and there is still uh, a few games remaining in the season. It doesn't necessarily need to happen this weekend, but it certainly would be a nice boost if it could. Right, after the break, we're going to discuss all things Fulham under 18s.
2: I'm Alex Rodriguez, and I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is
0: The Deal. Part two of the Fulhamish podcast. Sammy here with Jack Collins. Hello, listeners. And Peter Rutzler. Hello, hello. So, at the beginning of every Thursday podcast, I tell you that you should subscribe to the Athletic UK, and and of course you should. And Peter does wonderful pieces about the first team and first team players and and the games that happen that you know, we really do take an interest in every week, but I think one of the beautiful things about the athletic is the fact, Peter, it gives you some time to delve into aspects of Fulham that I guess your national, you have a national papers or journalists aren't going to feasibly have time or scope to cover. And one of those is the fact that you can look into other teams at Fulham because there is more than just a first team. And, Your latest piece was about uh, the free scoring Fulham under 18s on a roll at the top of the league. And on Tuesday, uh, you went down to the LSE pitches in New Morden. Uh, It was absolutely baking on Tuesday. I hope you had your uh, factor 50 out uh, to see Fulham's 4-0 win over West Ham and uh, Fulham top of the under 18 Premier League South. And from all accounts, a very, very impressive performance.
1: Yeah, no, they did very, very well and it, it's one of those things that would like to cover more and obviously the pandemic has posed a lot of restrictions on, on what you can go and go and see. Um, but I was able to get down on Tuesday, absolutely boiling. Um, I really was and I felt for some of the players out there. But um, another really impressive performance, as you said, it's a fourth straight win and a fourth straight win where they've scored more than four goals in the process. Wow. Um, they're a really, really impressive attacking team. And, you know, they, they, they've had to cope with quite a few different things. Um, I was able to speak to to Steve Wigley uh, under 18s coach um, after the game and he was able to outline you know the different factors um, that they've, they've had to, to deal with and, and part of that is moving to LSE in, in, its, in, in itself um, you know normally the, the under 23s the under 18s everything's under the same roof at Motspur Park everyone is at Motspur Park which is which is almost a unique thing actually at Fulham we're talking the commercial tickets everything um, but that's been less of the case now with, with staff working from home and uh, it means a new environment, um, and and LSE is is that. I mean, it's you know, it's LSE is London School of Economics. It's their cricket pitches essentially. Um, Fulham had to re, um, redraw the pitches on on the site, uh, when they first went down there, they had a, sort of a temporary tent structure at one end, and that was liable to get you know almost blown away by the wind. Um, they've now invested in this big double gazebo structure, these two big white structures which have air conditioning, lighting, heating. One's got a big gym, um, and that's made a massive difference for them. Um, but then there, there is a flip side too. I mean, the, the negative side is that they're both the under-23s and the under-18s on a Friday and a Saturday using the same pitch, uh, which is the one I saw on Tuesday uh, when they played West Ham. It's That really sort of suffered under the heat a little bit. I think it's suffered a bit all season. So it's it's affected how they've been able to play. Um, but in spite of that, they're still performing very, very well. You know, a 4-0 win, two goals for Kieran Bowie. He was brought in from, from Rafe Rovers. He played a, a part in their third division promotion before joining in February last year. Um, Mika Biereth, um, he scored again. I think that's his fourteenth goal in sixteen games, I think. Um we've had a very, very good season. It's sort of a, a a breakout for him as a second year scholar and he's been offered a, a pro contract, I understand. Um and then also the fourth goal from Jay Stansfield, who of course I think most Fulham fans are aware of after he scored a hatload of goals. I think it was twenty two last year, um, in a similar number of games before he picked up a serious ankle injury. And he's now working his way back and you know speaking to Steve Wigley afterwards he said you know we we the, the important thing for him was just to take his time there's not a race you know i think he, he was in, he's been involved in the first team hasn't he and um you know the fact that now he's he's getting back to his best he looked very good he played in the pocket behind behind Bowie and if who were two very physical strikers um and he looked very good as well and um yeah he did it did superbly well and um you know it's it's the fact that Fulham have been able to top the the under 18 Premier League South their second year in a row obviously they they finished top last year obviously it was curtailed because of the pandemic and it was awarded on points per game but um you know it's testament to the the good work they're doing and in in what are what is quite difficult circumstances
2: yeah and Peter those three I think are probably the household names if you will from from this crop and there's always a tendency at Fulham for people to be like I'll oh, just stick them in stick them in the first team we can't <laughs> score goals and we've seen this for years right Stevie Humphreys and you know Musa Dembele when he first came through slightly different in terms of he'd played a lot of, of youth football but there's always the clamor when Fulham aren't scoring goals so we're like I'll oh, just stick the kids in stick the kids in and it very rarely works it, it is the truth of the matter you know sticking people in too early is is mostly detrimental for their careers rather than proving to be the breakout for people I hope it would be. Um, but who stood out
1: for you? Uh, well, for me, uh, it was probably Ollie O'Neill, actually. I don't think he's a name we talked about too much. Um, he was playing on the left-hand side. He's a winger, very direct. I mean, I-, I mentioned the pitch before and how difficult it was to, I mean, just keep the ball on the deck, really. I mean, it, it was bobbling all over the place. It- it's very difficult to read. But whenever he got possession of the ball, it just seemed to stick to his feet. You know, he he was deceptively quick as well, able to glide by his opponents. Took all the set pieces. Um, second goal was from a corner. I think that Bowie then scrambled in, but he's dropped it right on the six-yard box. Um, very quick, very good on the, very good technically good delivery from wide. Um, and speaking to some of the people around Fulham around the under eighteen squad, you know he's, he's a very intelligent guy. He's doing three three a, a levels at the moment as well. Um, I think Mika Biyaref is also doing some A levels too. Um, but, uh, you know, he's very switched on and, and Steve Wigley spoke about him afterwards actually, and, uh, basically said that at the start of the season, he was playing him on the right hand side, uh, and he's a right footed winger. And they, and during his review, um, Ollie O'Neill just pointed out to him, you, you do know that I'm actually better on the left. Um, and, and Steve Wigley says, oh, really? <laughs> okay, we'll, we'll, we'll try that. We'll try and see how you do. And it turns out he was far better on the left. Um, and and you know, Steve Wigley was, was explaining that's you know it's good to have players like that. It's good to have people who who are able to voice an opinion in, in the right moments. And um, and and you know, as a coach, you want to listen to that and, and take it on board. But for me, yeah, really exciting player. He, he's played a bit for the under twenty threes, and he's yeah, he's one he's one to watch, I think. Um, but I, as you say, Jack, I did a few tweets when I was down there on Tuesday, and straight away the replies are, oh, throw them in, you know, get get me involved in in the first team, and. You know they are still boys. You know these are kids. <laughs> um, people develop at different paces. You know these are 18 years old. I mean the standard of opposition it, for sure. Technically some of them are fantastic, but dropping them into the Premier League and the physicality difference is just enormous. It's it's and you really do notice that when when you go to these games. And um, that's not to say that they won't break. You know make that point. I mean we we just mentioned Jay Stansfield's made the get made the jump, um, but it's why you won't see them rushed in. And you know the other example, of course, is Fabio Carvalho. And they did a piece on him last week and. He's now, he's, he's had such rapid progress from the 18s. I think he made his debut at what, 14, 15 in the 18s. Um, played the under-23s last year, stepped up. He's absolutely bossing it this year again. Numbers are ridiculous. Um, and now he's training pretty much full-time with the first team. And he's sort of in that gap now where it's, we can't, he's not quite ready for first-team match, match action, but he's probably too good for the 23s because it's not challenging him. So Fulham have sort of got him in this situation where he's training with the first team and then they'll try and get in minutes for the under 23s whenever they can. Um, obviously they have different testing um, bubbles at the moment which is why it's it's difficult to transition between them And we, we talked about that at length before but um, he's another example where you know quite clearly there is talent there but it can't always be a case of just dropping him in and there are promising signs for sure.
0: I found it particularly interesting, Peter. And I guess this should have come obviously, but I, I you don't really think about it because we're not at Motspur Park day to day and we don't necessarily know the ins and outs of training. But Steve Wiggly was talking about how the under 18s normally, as you say, would be at Motspur Park. And in the days leading up to a Premier League game, the first team would be using the the under 18s and the 23s as kind of... <laughs> Effectively attack versus defense, kind of using them for their own training as some opposite as some light opposition. And I guess the benefit of that is that someone like Scott Parker gets to see every under-18 player all the time by virtue of training the first team. And so he can speak to Steve Wiggley regularly and say, Oh, he's doing really well, he's looking great. But Steve Wiggley was saying about how this season, that hasn't been possible for the reasons you mentioned. And do you think that could have a negative impact on the development of young players? I guess it's a scenario that's at every club, not just Fulham.
1: Yeah, I think naturally it does. I think the the, the you know I think it's the it's the first team and, and Scott Parker who sort of miss out. I think there, there's certainly some value in that knowing where players are, where their development's at, and actually seeing them firsthand. Um, I don't think it's entirely the case that. That Scott Park's not aware of who's doing what and what's going on. I think the difference is actually being able to see them, and it makes such a difference when, as you say, the first team are able to prepare and then they line them out, and there's almost some shadow play, and you can see them actually play. And that's why probably Jay Stansfield got his opportunity, and why Fabio Cavalli has been involved. And when everyone's on the same site, it's much easier to transition players across from from one to the other. Um, and even as I think I think Steve Wigley said at one point, you know, sometimes I just go upstairs grab, you know, go into the manager's office and just say, can we have a chat for five minutes, talk about some of the youngsters? And it's not as, as free as that anymore. It's over the phone and that's a it's a very different experience. Um, a different thing to organise. It's hard to, to tie people down as uh, you know, speaking from a uh, journalist experience on that. So um it's, you know, I think for I don't think Fulham alone as you as you say in that. And I think there are other challenges too that have affected academy development. Uh, even in the younger age groups of course who during the lockdowns wouldn't have been training. Um, when they have been training they've been very limited in what they've been able to do um you know th- simple things like not being able to eat the canteen at breakfast and lunch and then potentially doing some sessions afterwards that that sort of flexibility to do it um has sort of resulted in less training time than perhaps previous years have, have been able to do uh, and that combined makes it makes it much more difficult i think and Um, you know when they came back after the the long lockdown you know the the academy staff you know they had to assess where everyone was at and there were a few few injuries you know mentioned jay stands before idris ozatai is another one um which were probably picked up because you're not quite sure where the players are at um physically um and so all of the all of these things have, have come into play and and that that naturally leads to i think a bit more flexibility from the staff where before we say okay well maybe we'll give them a bit more time um so that's something that certainly would be under consideration but it, yeah it's not been an easy period and, and certainly so for the under-18s if they had to move to a whole new place essentially.
0: And also related to that Peter it's the socialization aspect of it as well you hear all these stories down the years you know we when remember when we had Sean Davis and Barry Hales and Sean Davis is talking about whose boots he used to clean and how he would get in trouble because he didn't clean them well enough and Look, I know some of that attitude is is a relic of a time gone past and I know it's not completely like "oh clean my boots mate" but there is still some of that and they socialize together in in restaurants and 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 they they hang out together, right? And and the and the first team players kind of take the under 23s, under 18s under their wing and and show them what life is like in a first team dressing room and there'll be some players in the under 18s who haven't who don't even know members of the first team or if they do not very well.
1: Yeah, no, that's that's absolutely a thing, Sammy. And um, you know, I think one of the from from speaking to different people that one of the, the unique things obviously with Fulham is that you will get first team players going into different areas, going to someone's office, and there, there is a much there is quite a tight feel there and that's sort of been lost a little bit. And and, you know, as I mentioned before, that 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 affects the, the younger players, but particularly those who are new to the to the team, you know, with, with the under eighteens, the important thing is the movement between development age groups because you want to be challenging the players. If they're good enough, if they're better, if, you know, I think Steve Wigley says that the key metric for them is, is a quite a simple one. It's, you know, are, is he better than before? Is he improving? Are they constantly improving? And if they're improving, it says, like, okay, what well, do we challenge him again? Um, and that means constant movement between teams. And if you're not able to necessarily get to know your teammates, it becomes difficult to build that confidence and that trust. And um, if you take Kieran Bowie, for example, you know, we mentioned before, he was signed from from Ray Roas. He's come down from Scotland. He um, signed in February, and the lockdown was March. so actually getting to know your teammates, actually getting out seeing the area you 're living in in digs um, I was going to
2: say in a in a new place as well right in a in a new location that 's tough
1: exactly it 's exactly that and um that 's probably why someone like bowie 's taking a little bit longer to to sort of pick up his form i think he 's got five and three now and he's he 's absolutely flying but it you know that 's one of the the human side to things, and that 's just as important and that 's one of the things that has been. you know, know, lost to an extent and it's difficult. Um, You know, Fulham want to be progressing their young players. Steve Wigley himself, for example, would normally coach some of the under-15s and 16s so he can see who's coming necessarily and it's a much easier way of saying, well, this player's progressing and of course the staff all talk but it's, it's, you know, that sort of fluidity has been lost because everything's more regimented now and, um, well, that's deciding on scholarships as well. That's a big commitment.
2: You know, it's not just, uh, oh, right, we'll just move you up an age group. That's deciding who who gets brought in scholarship wise, which is pretty, you know, pretty integral to the way that the entire youth system flourishes, right? You let go of a player. And look, we've seen it, right? The amount of players that we've seen in recent Weeks, even you know, talked about as oh, they were at Fulham for a bit, and and the point is going to be trying not to let players like Berrettini slip through the cracks again, right? Because you you now watch him and you be like, right, that would be that would be a useful player to have have on the deck in a, in a season where we're lacking a little bit of creative spark. Um, Omar Richards obviously leaving Reading now and and going to join Bayern Munich, another one that was on Fulham's books, and and is in the end like obviously there's going to be some movement uh, under eighteen level. You're never going to have everybody who was ever at Fulham making it out Fulham, right but you want to minimize the risk of losing that and the fact that you can't see those players at this point is is probably not ideal for that kind of thing not happening again
1: yeah absolutely it's just one of the small things that the sort of you don't really think about so much it's, it's just those the, the, the fact that the you know, players do progress you know the 18s are you know they always want a, a schoolboy in the team they always want uh, a 16-year-old in there, to, just to show that there is that pathway in progressing them, getting them match experience. It's part of why they've done so well this year, as well as last. Is that last year's team had a lot of first-year scholars in there, the likes of Stansfield Biereth and, and and Bauer, Ibane Bauer, the, the centre half, and that helps. You know, it makes the, the transition better for the following year. And if you've got players with with game experience, they can help the younger ones when they do step up later. And it's all about having that sort of organic process. And you want to avoid players players, you know, dropping out and, you know, the likes of Abereze Eber- and, and, and Omar Richards are, are great examples of that. I think Stephen Alzate at Brighton's another one who had spent a little bit of time at Fulham. And um, part of the process too, I think, you know, when you, when you when speaking to different coaches at academy level, you know, across the country is that sometimes players do need to move, do need to drop out of academies because opportunity to to step outside and, and maybe re- reflect and then go again and maybe a different environment allows you to progress. And that's, that's quite a natural thing at youth level, but yeah. you want to, you want to avoid you know, missing out on the, the top talents too, too often.
0: And Peter, I think looking at kind of the youth system from a, from a wider perspective, just for a second, I think there's been like admiration, but also frustration amongst the fan base of who's managed to make it to the first team. Look, we recognize that there has been some amazing products from the youth team come into the first team. And obviously Ryan sessignon is the obvious example, but many of the the best players that have come through haven't been able to stay with Fulham and we've kind of seen glimpses of first-team players not really work out for Fulham. I guess what I wanted to ask is, do you get a sense that, the youth team are very pleased with what they've done in the last 10 to 15 years, really since Fulham's kind of category one academy came to fruition. Or is there a recognition that they need to do more in also to kind of get that carousel churning out long term Fulham players that really have success at Craven Cottage and not maybe a year before they're bought by a Spurs or a Liverpool
1: I think I think it's twofold. real. I think I, no. I, I, of course, you you want your, your your first team to be just constantly fed with with talented young players. Um, I think you know. I think Fulham are very pleased with what their academy is doing at the moment. I think they're uh, you know among the leaders for the for the for players they produce who stay in the game and are actually at high levels. You know, we talked about these players. You know, Imel Richards and um Eze and then you know Josh Madge another one who's come back and. Um, and obviously Ryan Session is a great example but these are players who've built careers having been through the Fulham youth system their academy production ranking is is superb and you know the, the players are still in the first team you know Marek Rodak's one for example Marcus Bettinelli um, you know it's, it's Jerome Poku. I had a chat with earlier this this year and um, you know he's he's doing very well at Plymouth he's another one who looks set to, to build a very decent career in the game and that that, that counts for something now, the flip side, of course, is when you actually look at the number of minutes that academy players have had at Fulham this year compared to their Premier League peers, I think Fulham are bottom. So uh, that, that's that's the sticking point. And obviously you want a clear a pathway. And I think what's counted against Fulham is is that sort of instability between the Premier League and the Championship. You know, you have, um, when you are committed for promotion, when you are fighting against relegation, for a manager, you're going to, you want to limit your risks and young players are always risks. That's, that's inevitable. And, you know, whenever Scott Parker's asked about how much he wants to be involved in, with with young players. You know, he speaks passionately about it. You know, there's definitely a keen interest to do that. Um, you know, and, and speaking to people like Steve Wigley, it's quite evident and that, you know, he, there is a clear involvement there and there's a desperate involvement to make sure these players see the pathway and they see the progression and can, have, can see that opportunity. Um, but then it's a different thing actually putting it into practice because obviously he's a young manager himself. He wants to make a name for himself. He wants to progress and at the same time you, you know you've got players coming in it's a quite a big squad in the first team it was bloated at the start of the year and that re- reduces opportunities again so i think where probably i think from the outside looking in you'd probably say they want to get that balance a little bit better um and make sure that more of these players are are able to actually stick into the first team but as I say, it becomes tricky with that f- fluidity. And if Fulham can find that stability, you look at Crystal Palace and the way they've been able to do it, by having that sort of stability in the Premier League, they've been able to bring through players like, like Aaron Wambasaka, of course, and, and and plenty more besides. So that that would help. I think it makes it much more of a, a clearer structure. But in terms of what they're doing, in terms of their output and how they're assessed, I think, you know, it's Fulham are doing a very, very good job.
0: Okay, right, well, um encouraging signs for the under eighteens. um I definitely will be watching their progress with a much closer eye now after reading your piece and uh, chatting about them today, Peter. So wishing them the best of the luck for the rest of the season. right. after the break, uh, we're gonna finish the podcast and just discuss whether we want Metro to start against Villa. Part three of the Fulhamish podcast. podcast. Um, if you want to catch Dom Betts' opposition preview with an Aston Villa supporter, head over to the YouTube channel. Make sure you have subscribed. Uh, that is going up in the next day or so if you want a fully Villa perspective on Sunday's game. Um, just quickly before we finish, gents, uh, I just want to get a kind of straw poll, really. Are any key changes that you'd like to make? I know we discussed the midfield and, and Loftus Cheek but I guess the big question is does Mitro get the nod for you Peter would you start Mitro
1: against Villa on Sunday or would you start Major? or would you start both Uh, I wouldn't start both just judging from from Villa's quality that they have going forward and it is a way and it's an away game I I would start Mitrovic um I think you coming off the back of such a confidence boosting period you want to capitalize on that you'd want to build on it um And I think, you know, we've seen that Mitrovic can play in that sort of more fluid counter-attacking setup. And, you know, I think even when, you know, when Serbia played Portugal, I I thought his link-up play was very, very good. Lots of players who were able to move off him very well. Fulham have a similar sort of dynamic in terms of those who can run off defenders, can be more direct. Um, And I think there is a role for him to play. And I I think if if there is an opportunity for him to to re-establish himself as a key player in the team, it will be off the back of the form he's had. Um, I still think he is above Major in the, the pecking order. I think that was always this sort of perception when he came in. Obviously, Major's come in and scored straight away and done superbly well. And that's a huge boost. You know, you need more goals in the team. Um, but, you know, I, I think this is an opportunity for Mitrovic. And, you know, if he's fit and, you know, replicating the same in training, then, then yeah, I, I think I would probably give him the nod, yeah.
2: JC? Yeah, I agree. I agree. I would I would start with Mitrovic. I don't think Scott Parker will um for what it's worth, I, I think that the fact that he'll have had, you know, these last two weeks to to drill down on certain things in the training ground, the fact that Maggi was left out of the Nigeria squad and therefore will have been at Motspur Park for the last two weeks, I think will work in his favour. Um, and, and that's why I don't necessarily think we will see Mitrovic. But I, if, if it was up to me, I, I would have Mitrovic and I would have loftus Sheik behind him to lead that press um, uh, you know, allowing Mitrovic kind of those breathers when we need them, so that he's not just working up and down. But I thought he looked sharp, he looked lean, uh, and he looked hungry, and, and and that's what you want to see going into this final stretch. I'd give him the nod.
0: Okay, right. Well, we'll see what happens on Sunday. Big, big match for Fulham as the Premier League returns. Uh, thank you to my guest today, Peter Rutzler. Oh, thank you, Sammy, and Jack Collins.
2: Thank you very much, Sammy.
0: Uh, We stand a better chance of winning on Sunday because Jack is hosting the podcast. Although my curse has been broken a bit in recent weeks, uh, it still very much is uh, in Jack's favour when it comes to the tally of wins to podcasts ratio. So um, Jack's hosting the podcast on Sunday and then myself, Jack and Peter will be back next week. Have a good weekend. Fingers crossed the Whites can do the business on Sunday. Up the Fulham. You Whites.